With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast, episode 48, coming to you live this week. As always, I am Zach Folador, steering this ship with my co-host, Sam Thillman. Sam, how you doing tonight, man? Uh, doing great. More playoff basketball tonight. Just just enjoying the summer overall. Yeah, for sure. I got to be honest with you, man. You mentioned the NBA playoffs. I've always been a LeBron fan. I, I like LeBron. I've always cheered for LeBron, especially when he played for the Cavs. But at the same time, I love watching the Lakers lose. I loved watching. They got I loved watching them get smoked by the, the Suns last night. Um you know, I don't have a dog in the race, so I'm just I'm I'm rooting for stuff like that. What do you what do you think about what you've seen in the first round so far? Oh, I've loved it. Similar to you, I don't have a dog in the race. The Pacers just disappointed me all the way. Yeah. Season. But so far, I've loved every single series I've watched so far, from even the blowout of the Nets and Celtics to the Wizards in um 76ers series. Every single series has been fun to watch so far. I'm planning on watching tonight's game as soon as we get done recording but yeah just overall just been enjoying every single series that I've watched so far and I just one last thing I want to say on the NBA before we move into our our Mac talk this weekend Sam but the the Portland Trailblazers organization they gotta figure out a way to get Dame Lillard a championship because that man is unbelievable that 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 turnaround step back three that he hit at the end of of ot last night to send second overtime i mean it's i the the things that he does i mean he does that stuff on a routine basis and it's unbelievable and i just wish they had he had more help there because i'd love to see him make a deep run in the playoffs but unfortunately i don't think they're gonna get past the nuggets you know i've never seen i've never seen after a game the amount of people that have wanted a person to be traded since yes Damian Lillard and Bucks fans I talked to my brother he wants the Pacers and one of my buddies talking about Damian Lillard being sent here and whether or not it's realistic or not but it's just the amount of people that want Damian Lillard to be traded all of a sudden is just astonishing to me yeah it's true and I I admire his loyalty to that organization we'll see what happens with him over the next couple years he's so much fun to watch I I I wish he was more I don't know I feel like he's very underappreciated by um by the sports world at large but anyway that's neither here nor there a lot to get to here in in the mac and uh Sam let's jump right into it here with the news this week and uh you know, I feel like every week we're talking about transfers out of Buffalo, and, and there's just another layer to that story that's been added this week in football. Uh, yeah, if you guys haven't been following the news around Buffalo, we thought the, the departures were done with the coaching staff um, going from Lance Leipold's coaching staff to Kansas, following him over there. But that wasn't the case when six Buffalo players decided to follow him over there. I'll list them off real fast. Michael Ford, an offensive tackle. Rich Miller, a linebacker. Ronald McGee, defensive tackle. And then we start getting to some notable players. Mike, Mike Nowitzki, the center. Eddie Wilson, defensive tackle. Trevor Wilson, um, a receiver. And so, Zach, we'll kind of get into this. The first two, the first three, I should say, weren't as impactful of names as the last three. I mean, Mike Nowitzki was a big part of that offensive line. Eddie Wilson, just a, a monster defensive tackle on that defensive line. And then Trevor Wilson, a solid um, depth uh, at receiver there. I would say the first three didn't hurt as much, but when you got the, to the last three names, it kind of uh, hit Buffalo a little bit harder. Yeah, no doubt. And um, I, I feel like, you know, the, the last couple of weeks we've, we've talked about this and 
I, I've been hesitant to be too critical of, of Lance Leipold only because I felt like the timing of, of Kansas firing less miles and then taking their time with their coaching surf. So search, excuse me. None of that was necessarily Lance Leipold's fault. I'm changing my tune a little bit here with, with this though. I mean, it's, it's one thing to leave Buffalo and take your, basically your entire coaching staff with you. I get that that's been done before, but now to go back and, and poach, you know, six dudes that you recruited to Buffalo and say, Hey, come with me to Kansas. I it's it. I mean, he's really, really putting his, his old program in a tough spot. He's not doing coach linguist any favors. And like you said, Sam, I mean, Mike Nowitzki is a guy that was, um, you know, instrumental in their offensive line last year. And now with him transferring to Kansas, all five of their, their starters uh, from, from the offensive line that started two years ago, they're all gone. Um, he, I think was the guy that was kind of the, the catalyst of everything, the center there. It's really tough to lose him. Trevor Wilson really kind of had a breakout game uh, in the, uh, in the Mac championship game, lost to ball state where he had six catches for 118 yards. Yeah, this is tough, Sam. I, I, I can't lie. If, if I'm a Buffalo fan today, I'm, I'm not too happy with the fact that Lance Leipold is, is taking some of his guys with him like this. Yeah. And, and it was, it was one thing I think, okay, you take, you take some of the coaching staff that that's one thing, like everybody expects him to do. It. I think the amount of coaches that went with him was a little bit insane, but it was expected. But I think at this point, you might as well start calling Kansas, the Kansas bulls, because at this point, <laughs> basically Buffalo's program inside of a big 12 uh, program at this point, like it, it, it's, I, it makes sense from the, the standpoint of he's, um, Lance Leipold's trying to bring his guys over, trying to institute some of his culture into the locker room. I mean, it makes sense. It just seems like a dirty move to kind of poach people from your former program. Not You didn't leave them basically any coaching assistance. You didn't leave them any um, sort of coaching staff. And now to poach some of the players, you're hurting them even more. And it just proves my point even more. We were talking about last episode of the over under eight and a half. I said five and seven is where I think they're at and that these six departures helps my case even more. Yeah, Sam, I'm, I'm with you, man. And uh, you know, I, I can't ever recall a situation. Maybe there is one out there, but I, I can't recall a situation in the past where a coach has left like this. And so many of his players followed him to his new destination. Like I know thinking of more recent examples in the Mac, like I know that didn't happen when Dino Babers went from Bowling Green to Syracuse. I know that didn't happen when Matt Campbell went from the Toledo to Iowa state. Maybe there's an example out there that, that I'm not thinking of where this did happen before, but like to your point, Sam, I think it's not unusual for me to see a coach, you know, get a new job and bring some of his assistants with him. It is a little bit unusual to see this year what, what Lance Leipold did with taking some of his old players from Buffalo and bringing them to Kansas. I don't know. We'll see how they fit in in the Big 12. Um, I don't know if they know exactly what they're signing up for there going into Kansas, which is traditionally one of the worst Power 5 programs. So we'll see if they have any success turning that around. Now, on the other side of the fence here, Sam, Obviously, a lot of negative news there with a lot of guys leaving Buffalo, but uh, Coach Maurice Linguist, new head coach at Buffalo, was able to bring in a couple Power 5 transfers to hopefully help fill some of those gaps. Yeah, I'll start off with the grad transfer from Texas Tech. Adam Beck, a defensive back from Texas Tech, moving from Texas to uh, Buffalo. And similarly, similarly, he got another Texas guy in Josh Rogers committed to Buffalo transferring from Texas A&M to Buffalo. So we're talking about how many people are leaving the Buffalo program. At least Maurice Linguist brought in some reinforcements with some actually nice additions to power five uh, transfers in one from Texas Tech, one from Texas A&M. I think it helps that Maurice Linguist has the Michigan experience to land big name guys like this with so many people leaving so many people in the transfer portal. So I, I will say Zach, even though he's losing a lot of people, these two additions are really nice to um, kind of um, patch whatever you're missing from your departures. Yeah, I agree with you. Adam Beck, um, you know, 61 tackles over the last two years for, uh, for the red Raiders. 
Um, he has started for, for part of that time. Now, Texas Tech has a program uh, not necessarily known for their defense, but they have produced some good individual defenders. And I think Adam Beck, uh, he's, an, you know, he's an athletic cornerback, 6'2", 205. He has decent speed. Uh, he can get down the field. Um, you know, he did, uh, again, you know, you know, 39, uh, solo or 39 total tackles last year as a sophomore. Um, so I think this is a guy, he's a, he's a good pickup. Uh, I think, especially with, with some of their losses on the defensive side of the ball, he can step in and provide some veteran leadership, uh, in the secondary there. I certainly think he's capable of doing that. Josh Rogers from Texas A&M. If you look him up, he, he's a little bit more of a wild card. This is a guy who did not play last year. He opted out of the season last year. And two years ago, as a freshman, um, he only really saw action in, uh, in three games uh, that year. His freshman year only had five total tackles. So this is a guy, defensive tackle, certainly looks the part, certainly looks like he can come, come in and contribute. You know, 6'5", 295. He's a big body. Just hasn't had a chance to really – uh, show what he can do at the Collegate level, which is, I would imagine is partially why he's transferring. So you'd like to think that with Malcolm Koontz and some of the other um, depth that they've lost on the defensive side of the ball and the D-line in general, you'd like to think he can come in and contribute, um, and, and we'll see. But I think these are two promising transfers that uh, Coach uh, Linguist was able to pick up, Sam. And I, I not only think that, I think this is a sign of things. We should see a lot more transfers come in. You don't have enough time to recruit 2021 guys. Most of them have already committed to schools. Most of them already uh, signed up for classes. So what you're going to have to do is kind of fill the holes with transfers and you're going to have to go go out and search the, the transfer portal for whoever you can get to start from day one because that's who you're going to need to plug in, fill those holes kind of replace not only the six Buffalo players, anybody else who's gone to a different route than just following landslide pulled over to Kansas. So uh, these are, I think, two great additions for depth. Not only you mentioned the Malcolm Koontz um, leaving. Uh, I know they had a linebacker go to Kansas. So um, Adam Beck should be a nice fit in. But yeah, I, I think this is, I wouldn't be surprised if Buffalo gets a few more transfers in the day to come, if not months to come. Yeah, I agree. There's there's certainly reps to be had there on both sides of the ball. So I, I can imagine it could be a potentially um, attractive transfer destination for for guys looking uh, to get some more playing time and kind of build their brand. So we'll see what uh, Coach Linguist is able to do here over the next month or so in terms of adding guys as they get prepared for uh, for fall camp in August. Uh, moving into uh, onto the hardwood, Sam. Uh, some cool news out of uh, out of Ohio's uh, basketball team. Uh, some some good uh, postseason awards for Ben Vanderplas. Yeah, uh, Ben Vanderplas over this past week was named the 2020-2021 Academic All-American. And if you don't know what that means, basically he had an insanely high GPA and was one of the best not only athletes but student athletes. Um, he actually got his he's earned his master's in sport administration with a 4.0 GPA. He's currently working towards his master of science in management. And I don't know about you, Zach. I can't even get a 4.0 GPA in college, high school, or whatever, and he's been <laughs> able to do that while also playing a D1 sport. So I I don't know how hard um, Ohio's sport administration program is, and that's nothing to take away from him, but 4.0 GPA in itself, and you're also playing a uh, D1 sport, I mean, just hats off to him. Yeah, that's not easy to do at all. I'm, uh, similar to you, Sam, I did not have a 4.0 GPA in college, and I was not playing a sport. I, I, I didn't have any extracurricular activities to distract me, and I still couldn't get a 4.0. So uh, congrats to Ben Vanderplas. Also, the fact that uh, he's, he's working on his second master's degree. He got his master's of sport administration already. Now he's working on his master of science in, in management. So on, you add on top of that, third on the team in scoring with 12.8 uh, points per game, uh, all-MAC third team, all-MAC all-tournament team. I mean, this is a, a well-rounded kid. He's going to be uh, successful in whatever he chooses to do after college, even if professional basketball isn't in the cards for him. So a very cool thing. Always love seeing guys get uh, get – um, acknowledged for uh, academic achievements. So congrats to, uh, to Ben Vanderplas there. And uh, also elsewhere in basketball, Sam, moving uh, just north uh, a little bit towards Cleveland, uh, Kent State uh, announced an extension for their basketball coach yesterday. 
Yeah, I can say, as you mentioned, extended the contract of their head coach. If you don't know who he is, it's Rob Sinderoff, who is, in fact, the winningest coaching in uh, Kent State's history. A well-deserved extension, I think we can both agree on this. And and it was such a, um, Zach, it was such a puzzling into the season. We didn't really hear anything about the Danny Pippen sitting yeah. out. Kent State had one heck of a season. They were either... I think they were fifth, right, in conference? They, they finished fifth, yeah. Losing first round in against Ohio, who ended up the MAC champs, and from there on, obviously, beat Virginia. But one heck of a season overall. I think um, this season really impressed me from Kent State. Mike Nuga, Danny Pippen just um, stepping up to lead this team. But, yeah, I think this was a no-brainer by Kent State locking up through um, the 2025-2026 season. It, it, it's just a no-brainer to me. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there, Sam. I mean, you look at his uh, his record over the years: one ninety six and one twenty nine at Kent State. They've had six twenty win seasons in his ten years um, as the head coach, and and another year where they had nineteen, so they just missed out on it. Now, I think um, in in some programs, if you're the head coach for ten years and you've only made the NCAA tournament one time, that might put you on the hot seat. But with with Rob Senderoff, though even though they've only made the dance once in that time, they are consistently a top three or four team in the Mac. This is a team that's always in contention for the Mac crown. Anytime you're in a conference like the Mac, where it's usually a one big bid league, obviously those bids are harder to come by, but yeah, this is a guy they, I mean, they've consistently won under him. They, they don't have a single losing season. They had one year back in 2017, 2018, where they finished 17 and 17, but that was the worst record they've had under him. I mean, other than that, again, six 20 win seasons, the winningest coach in school history, certainly well-deserved for him. It'll be interesting to see what their team looks like next year with, with Danny Pippen graduating and, uh, and Mike Nuga entering the transfer portal. We'll have to see what they look like next year. But um, if, you know, if his past history is any indication, I think they'll be right there at the top of the conference. Yeah, yeah, no question. I agree with you there. And and it's one I think the interesting thing to put in perspective is it's not like football where you can get six wins and there's probably three to four MAC teams that reach a bowl postseason um appearance. In basketball, there's really only one team that gets it each year and to go 196, 129, have his worst record be basically 17 and 17, which is 500, I think is just a testament to his credit. And yeah, you'd obviously like to see them go to the dance more than more than once. But at the same time, it's so hard to get. There's only one one team a year and you have to win the postseason tournament. It's not even you win the regular season and you're automatically in. You have to win the postseason. So I, I think this is a smart decision by Kent State. It's a no-brainer again. He's built this program to be excellent. And like you said, I wouldn't be surprised them to see them um, contending next year. Yeah, no doubt. So we'll see what they're able to do next year. And, um, you know, there's been some some non-conference scheduling news trickling out here the last couple of weeks. So I'm sure we'll start to see some uh, some basketball scheduling news from, from some of our MAC schools here over the next couple of weeks. So we'll see what uh, what the Golden Flashes are able to put together on the court next year. Um, and some other coaching news, Sam, uh, moving over to volleyball. Uh, we had uh, some some more news from, from Ohio in terms of uh, uh, men's volleyball, or I'm sorry, women's volleyball coach Dean Webb. Yeah, um, Ohio's and actually earlier this year, similar to Ball State, their head coach also retired, but recently Ohio's uh, volleyball head coach in Dean Way, Dean Webb announced stepping down after only seven seasons. He guided um, Ohio to a MAC regular season title his first season back in 2014, as the Bobcats went 23 and six overall. This past year, he led uh, the Bobcats to the 10th NCAA tournament appearance. And overall, it's it's sad to see this Ohio Ohio volleyball program lose a head coach who's led this program to a lot of success. But obviously, he thought it was his time to go. Yeah, but um, anyway, um, yeah, as I was saying, just a, a just a great head coach for the short time he was there. It's sad to see him go. Hopefully, Ohio can bounce back relatively easily, similar to Ball State's um, men's volleyball program, which is going to have to rebuild with a new head coach. Um, uh, similar to Ohio uh, baseball and the fact that they had their head coach retired. So it seems like Ohio... 
Ohio, once Frank Solich leaves, they're going to have a lot of programs that are going to have a lot of um, new head coaches. Yeah, you're, you're certainly right about that. And I think, uh, you know, the Ohio, you know, their, their volleyball team is, is in a pinch right now because it's, it's a little bit of a unique situation here where you had the spring season this year, but women's volleyball in a normal year is, is a fall sport. So they have a short turnaround here, right? They just finished their season, you know, a month ago, and now they got to turn around and get ready for a fall season starting in August and they don't have a coach. So that is uh, problematic, obviously, for, for the players on the team currently. Also, for you know, recruiting purposes and stuff like that, you got, they're going to have to name a coach here uh, pretty quickly. But you're right, Sam. Certainly a, um, a, a good legacy that, that Coach Webb leaves um, at Ohio. Like you mentioned, two, uh, two MAC championships, uh, one regular season title and one tournament title. Uh, that brought the Bobcats to their 10th NCAA tournament peers. Also, also um, coached in two uh, MAC players of the year, Abby Gilliland in 2014 and Tia Jimerson back in 2019. So certainly a, a good legacy uh, for Coach Webb at Ohio. Like we mentioned, two, uh, two MAC championships and, and a trip to the NCAA tournament. Not, nothing to complain about there. Best of luck to him in his retirement. It'll be interesting to see uh, who Ohio is able to hire here on somewhat short notice uh, coming up here in the next couple months as they prepare to get back into a regular fall season, hopefully here uh, in a couple months, starting in August. So um, that, that about does it for the news here tonight. Let's move into our Twitter question this week. And uh, Sam, I thought we got a great response this week on the Twitter question. Last week, you guys, uh, anyone that tuned in, you know, Sam and I, we talked about the, uh, the season win totals for football coming out and uh, kind of gave our thoughts and uh, we, we posed that question to you guys on Twitter uh, last week and just wanted to get your thoughts on the overall season win totals. Sam, we got a ton of responses here, and there seemed to be a couple common themes there of some teams that, you know, the folks felt were a little bit underrated, a little bit overrated, stuff like that. Yeah, I thought the you, – you could tell me what you thought. I thought the main themes were Toledo was too high, which I, which I agree with. Buffalo is too high, which I agree with. And then – Surprisingly, I didn't even think of uh, Miami, Ohio being listed at where they, they're four and a half. People had an issue with where they were put at. They thought they should have been listed higher in the over-unders. I don't know. Did you have any uh, other takeaways? You know, I, the, the main one for me was, was Miami, which you mentioned. That was a number that didn't really jump off the page to me whenever we talked about this last week. But then you look at some of the tweets we got here and you know, um, our, our friends over at the, the College Sports Connection podcast, um, Alex and AJ, they, they responded and, you know, mentioned how Miami has 91% of their production back from last year. And two years ago, the last full year of, uh, you know, Mac football, Miami won the conference. So they still got, they got Brett Gabbert coming back under, court, uh, under center. He's not talked about like Drew Plitt and Dustin Crum are. Um, I, I think he's probably a step below them, but he's still a very, very capable quarterback. Um, so I think Miami was the big one to me. Um, the other one was, I, I don't know. I think, I think I, I agree with you on the other ones. Toledo seemed to be a little high. Um, everyone seemed to agree that Buffalo was a little bit, um, a little bit high as well. I have to give a, a shout out to um, our friend at uh, is it, it's Bursey. I think, I hope I'm saying it wrong. Nick, uh, he responded to us and he, he's taken, he said the easy over for Northern Illinois. He thinks the Huskies win at least six games this year might be a little bit optimistic there, Nick. I, I, I don't know if I see him going that high, but I certainly, uh, I, I like where his head's at. I like his, uh, support and his team. I don't know, Sam, I don't see Northern Illinois getting to six. I, I perhaps so if things break their way, they could hit the over on four there. And for me, Miami, Ohio is an interesting case. I, I looked at their schedule briefly. You, you jump off the map with a at Cincinnati, at Minnesota, uh, play Long Island, which should be a pretty easy one, and then a game against at Army. So you're non-conference. You could be starting out with a one-in-three record realistically, um, considering I don't know where the Army program they also have to play Ball State this year, so I'll get a sense of where they're at. But potentially one and three, and then their their conference schedule, you have a couple of easy wins in here. But Central Michigan, Eastern Michigan, Ball State, Ohio, Buffalo, um, you don't know where their heads at. Kent State, Bowling, Bowling Green's an obvious win. But Miami, Ohio is an interesting case. Last season, they obviously had a lot of injuries. 
you didn't really get to see the full program. They obviously beat Ball State in their opener and just kind of dipped from there. So I'm kind of interested to see where um, Brett Gabbard's head at, head is at, if he can bounce back from the injury. Because if I think he can or can return to his uh, freshman of the year form, this team um, could do some dangerous things. I think, like you said, he's not mentioned with the Dustin Crumbs, Drew Plitz of the world. But I think he needs experience for that. He's only coming into his third year. I think this year, if he can take the next step, maybe we start putting him in the conversation, if not his senior year. But this Miami uh, team, I think they're a little bit undervalued at four and a half. But I think a a nice safe number would probably be a nice six number for him um, over under for me. Yeah, I I hear you there, Sam. And and I think the the exercise for me when we're looking at season win totals, it's always so, you know, like we talked about last week and like you just brought up, you know, look at the schedule. Where are the wins going to come from? I don't, you know, Cincinnati and Minnesota on the road to start the year. Cincinnati, I've seen Cincinnati in some top 15, some top 10 lists uh, that, that I've seen some preseason rankings. Minnesota right around the fringe of the top 25 as well. I don't know that they're going to win either of those games. I agree with you. I think Long Island is a win at Army. I don't know. You know, Army is a tough place to play, especially with that um, with that, you know, triple option system that they run. And then you got Central Michigan at home and at Eastern Michigan. If those games don't go your your way, you know, you're looking at potentially a one and five start before you play Akron and then you got Ball State, Ohio, Buffalo, Bowling Green. I don't know. Uh, there's just a lot of coin flip games here for Miami that I think they'd have to win a lot of those coin flip games to get the over for me. So I'm looking at a coin, uh, you know, coin flips games being, you know, I'm looking at Central Michigan, Eastern Michigan, Ohio, Buffalo, Kent State. I mean, I even maybe throw Ball State in there, even though I think Ball State will have a more of a decided advantage in that one. I could see by Miami getting the five wins this year, maybe six. I, I don't see them, you know, competing for a conference championship or anything like that, though. Um, so, yeah, that was an interesting one. I think that the, the, the folks talking about Miami, that was what um, stuck out to me the most, Sam. Um, and like you said, I, I think uh, we're all in agreement. You know, J- James tweeted and mentioned that Toledo seems to be a, uh, you know, a Vegas favorite every year. And we aren't sure why I agree with him there. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to see how the season plays out though, and see where, where some of these teams land. And, and one, one final thing I want to shout out Scott Russell's first comment If Western Michigan only wins six without returning office. They have other issues. And I think he's right to the fact that I think Western Michigan can do some dangerous things, but similar to Kent state, it all comes down to their defense at the end of the day because no matter how much big numbers they put up last season, it seemed um, – let me let me pull up their schedule from last year, but it just seemed like their defense led them down time and time again. They should have had such easy wins, whether it's that Toledo game, that Ball State game, but it was their defense in the end that kind of crushed them. So if, if you're a Western Michigan fan, I think you have to be really hopeful – you have everybody um, – you have a lot of your returning cast outside Dwayne Eskridge obviously getting drafted, but it all comes back uh, to their – to their how their defense performs for me. Yeah, I'm with you there, Sam. I mean, you know, their defense you gave up last year, you know, 53 points to Eastern Michigan, 44 to Central Michigan, 38 to Toledo. Yeah, not certainly not uh, not the best defense, but you know you got Caleb Ellaby coming back under center. A lot of uh, a lot of good weapons there on offense outside of Dwayne Eskridge. Obviously, they're going to have to replace him, which is easier said than done. But I do uh, think that there's a lot of uh, promise for the Broncos coming up uh, this year. We'll see how they're able to do. Big game for them opening up Week One at the Big House in Ann Arbor against in-state rival Michigan. Let's move into the spring sports here, Sam. Um, when I say spring sports, the only thing we got left is, is baseball. We had the last weekend of the baseball season here this past weekend, uh, the MAC wrapping up. We had Miami entering the weekend with a two-game lead over Ball State at the top of the standings. They were the only two teams that were still able to win the conference championship. Uh, both teams swept their weekend series, so unfortunately for Cardinals fans, Central Michigan maintained that two-game lead and uh, took the conference crown. They swept Toledo. Ball State sweeps four from Miami. Bowling Green takes three of four from Northern Illinois. Kent, three of four from Eastern Michigan. And then Western Michigan, three of four from Ohio. Sam, uh, 
I can only imagine what it felt like uh, in Indiana this weekend for, for you guys. First of all, not getting the chance to, to compete in the tournament for a, you know, for a conference championship, but also not hearing your name called on Selection Sunday for the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I'll, I'll start out with saying Central Michigan, they, they, they deserved it. They, they got that two um, win, and then they just swept Toledo. Like, I can't hate on Central Michigan for doing what they needed to do. However, I can't hate on Toledo for letting people down once again. <laughs> they always do. All I needed them to do was beat them a couple times, which in a couple games, I was actually tuning in because the games, the Ball State series was on ESPN Plus, which I couldn't watch, but the Central Michigan game was, the Central Michigan series was on ESPN 3. So I was able to tune into uh, games there. There was a couple games there that Toledo, it could have went their way, including a 1-0 win um, for Central Michigan. It's unfortunate um, Toledo couldn't get it done, but Central Michigan, hats off to them for getting it done. Now, I will say the selection committee, I, I don't know what to do, Zach, about the selection committee. Like, yeah. there has to be a point where I, I saw a tweet where they let in a team with an 88 RPI in, a at-large bid, when Balsay, I think, had like a 13 RPI, yeah. scheduled a series against Arizona in which they won two games, a series against Kentucky and SEC when we all when we all know how good the SEC is, got a game against Kentucky. Like, what more does a team need to prove to get in other than just basically transferring to a Power Five conference and being a Power Five school at that point? Yeah, I, I'm with you, Sam. And, and I think the the thing that would really frustrate me if I was a Ball State fan is that you know, the, the, the common refrain that you hear, you know, we hear it in basketball a lot or even in football when we're talking about being, you know, selections for bowl games and stuff like that. One of the refrains we typically hear is that, you know, these group of five teams, their, their strength of schedule isn't there. They don't, they don't play anybody. You couldn't say that about Ball State this year, though. I mean, they went, you mentioned the non-conference schedule. They went to Arizona. They split four with Arizona. They split four with Kentucky. They also, I mean, they, they played um, Old Dominion, who was, I believe, finished the season ranked in the top 10. And uh, they, didn't, they didn't beat Old Dominion, but, you know, they had, uh, what was it, a, th- a three-game series there where they lost all three games tightly contested, you know, 6-3, uh, two to one, 10 to five, I guess in that, in that last game, they got beat a little bit, but still six, three, two to one. I mean, you go toe to toe with old dominion. You take two of three from Kentucky. You take, uh, you know, you split four with Arizona. I don't see how, you know, you combine that with, uh, with, with the, the conference record going 29 and 11 in the Mac. I really, I, I really feel for ball state here. And, and like you mentioned, Sam, uh, they finished the the season with an RPI of of 48, and there are, if you look at the field, numerous teams there that uh, got got in with an RPI lower than 48, including North Carolina and and Michigan, who were in the last four in, uh, you know, the last four in, in the into the field. So you really feel for Ball State for for Coach Maloney and the team. I, I really feel like they deserved it, and uh, like you said, they just couldn't depend on Toledo to get a win for them this weekend and get the MAC championship, which is too bad. And, and you know what's what's crazy is I, I went to my um, high school sectional uh, championship game, actually both games, one, one to get into the sectional championship. And I think my high school went 8-19, and 19, still had a chance to win their sectional. They did it, and hats off to them because I never saw my school win a sectional or anything. But the, <laughs> the, the crazy thing is, is that a, in high school, no matter how bad you are, you get a chance at the championship. And, and for college, you can be, you can have a, a crazy record of 38 and 18, and you still not have a um, a chance at the, at the postseason. I get it. It's a it's limited for a reason. But at what point is the criteria just so just so biased towards power five school that we just we we just accept that these these con these group of five these group of five conferences won't ever get a get a chance to have other teams outside of being a one bid conference. Yeah, it's it's tough. And and I don't there's not an easy answer to that question because you're right. It does feel like things are very skewed for the power five conferences. That's where the money is, you know. 
I think the, the thing that's unfortunate for Ball State here is the fact that, um, you know, well, let me say first, I'm not, I'm not blaming the Mac, but the fact that they didn't have a conference tournament this year and didn't give Ball State the opportunity to earn a bid through the tournament, I think is, is something that's an unfortunate reality of, of just what we're dealing with this year. I mean, the Mac, you know, they, they, they canceled the tournaments for, for a number of sports here. We had this similar situation in women's soccer where Buffalo uh, wasn't able to get in. Um, and obviously they've said they're going to reinstate those conference tournaments next year, which is a great thing. But for this specific year for teams like Buffalo's women's soccer and, and for, you know, the ball state baseball team, um, that's tough. The fact that, you know, they were right there all year and they just, they finish a game or two short and they don't give the opportunity to compete for, for the conference championship. It's too bad. It's too bad. Hopefully, um, though the guys on, on the ball state team, they can use this as motivation for next year. And, um, you know, really, uh, hopefully next year, get, get to the NCAA tournament, which they, which they couldn't do this year. We take a look at the final standings real quick. Uh, Central Michigan finishes on top 31 and nine ball state at 29 and 11 in second place. And then Kent state, Western Michigan and Toledo finished three, four and five. Um, and then Ohio and Bowling green at 19 and 21, 18 and 22, a shout out to Bowling green, 18 and 22. And their uh, after their program was, uh, temporarily canceled last year. Uh, not a bad season for, for the Falcons at all. But speaking of the team that did win uh, the tournament or, or the, the conference this year in Central Michigan, Sam, it was just announced uh, the other day on Sunday when the, the field was announced uh, that uh, Central Michigan is heading to the South Bend Regional. Yeah, uh, Central Mi Michigan, as we stated earlier, was the team to get the MAC bid. So they, they were sent to, they were picked to the South Bend Regional. And funny enough, take on the team that I hate so much in Notre Dame. It just seems like <laughs> it just seems like every postseason involves a Mac team playing Notre Dame at this point. We, we might as well just set that up for future postseason tournaments. But uh, uh, which is un, which is um, unusual in baseball. They do uh, regional kind of pods, have four teams in each regional, and they, they fight it out from there. So Central Michigan being the four seed will take on the one seed in Notre Dame. The other two uh, teams picked is Michigan, which I mentioned earlier, and UConn. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see. It is double E limb in college baseball. Uh, they do it differently than other sports, and hopefully Central Michigan can at least, if they don't even get the one against Notre Dame, can uh, stay alive uh, to advance to the next round. Yeah, for sure. The, I don't know what it is about Notre Dame, but these selection committees like putting uh, the MAC champions in that regional. We we saw Miami uh, softball last week uh, in a similar situation, taking on the Fighting Irish. And uh, yeah, similar to Miami, actually, you know, Central Michigan did play Notre Dame earlier this year at Notre Dame. They lost that game eight to four on April 11th. So I know uh, Coach Bishop and the team are going to be looking for uh, a little bit of redemption here as they travel to South Bend at one o'clock on Friday. Best of luck to the Chippewas. You know, these uh, in these sub regionals, you know, anything can happen. Double elimination. Um, you know, if, if they can win that first game, steal one on Friday against um, against Notre Dame. You never know they, what they can do against Michigan or UConn in that second game. So best of luck to the Chippewas. Uh, everyone, I'm sure, remembers the, that magical run that Kent State had uh, to the College World Series back in 2012. So um, hopefully, or I shouldn't say hopefully, but we'll see if the, the Chippewas can uh, recapture some of that magic. Um, let's uh, To close out the show here this week, uh, Sam, let's talk a little bit of football here. Um, obviously, you know, we're, we're into June now. We're less than three months away from college football season and uh, that everyone's getting excited for it. I know I am. I know you are. I know all of our listeners are. We had the other day uh, the Athlon Sports MAC preseason all-conference team was released. Um, 17 players from Central Michigan, 14 from Ball State, 13 from Eastern Michigan, uh, I'm sorry, from, uh, from Western Michigan. Sam, why don't we run down through the first team real quick and just uh, we can talk a little bit about our thoughts. Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll do the offense and you can do the, the defense, Zach, but we'll start sure. off with the quarterback. Obviously, doesn't crumb Kent State, no question there. Kevin Marks and Bryant Kobach at Buffalo and Toledo, respectively, got their running backs in the first team. You got all-purpose uh, running back in Demontre Tuggle being Ohio. Justin Hall, the active leader 
um, in receptions and FPS uh, being receiver alongside uh, Northern Illinois' Tyrese Ritchie. Tied in, interesting one, Ryan Luerman from Ohio, uh, Bryce Harris from Toledo being the center, and then you have five offensive linemen, Derek Smith from Central Michigan, Mike Caliendo, Western Michigan, Jake Fuzak from Buffalo, Bill Kudik from Kent State, and um, Mike Nowitzki who transferred to Kansas uh, from Buffalo. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that's unfortunate one to, to hear there for Buffalo fans. You're one of your guys on first team preseason transfers, uh, which is too bad. Uh, looking at the defense here, uh, we got Taylor Riggins, our D lineman. We got four D linemen: uh, Taylor Riggins from Buffalo, Troy Harrison from Central Michigan, Ralph Hawley from Western Michigan, and Dewan Johnson from Toledo. Three linebackers: we got Troy Brown from Central Michigan, James Patterson from Buffalo and Brandon Martin from Ball State, who was the MAC um, Defensive Player of the Year last year. And uh, corner, cornerbacks, we got Noski LaFleur from Eastern Michigan and Sam Womack from Toledo. At safety, we have Bryce Crosby from Ball State and Tyson Anderson from Toledo. Uh, the specialists, we got kicker uh, Marshall Meter from Central Michigan, Luke Elzinga from Central Michigan, kick returner Trayvon Rudolph from Northern Illinois, and punt returner Ron Cook from Buffalo. Sam, let's uh, let's start with the offense here. Um, any any surprises from you or, or for you, I should say, on this side of the ball? I'm going to say offensively, there, there's a few things that I want to touch on. First of all, tight end, I, I think it's subjective who you put there because there's, to be honest, there's not a whole lot, lot of depth there. I think you can agree with me on that, Zach. Yeah, sure. Certainly. And then I think one thing interesting is the fact that they put Caleb Ellaby over um, Drew Plitt for second team. I think that's an interesting choice. And I think, I think one thing, I think, I think for me, a the running backs were so tightly close that you couldn't really. It's it's hard to pick one. Like I think there's a case to put. Um, let's see, uh, Ladarius Jefferson over maybe Demontre Tuggle or. Um, Khalil Pimpleton over uh, Tyrese Ritchie for receiver. I think there's so much depth at receiver and running back that there was so much um, that you, it, it's tough. You could make a case for anybody. I think the one person that should, the two people that should say are definitely Kevin Marks and Justin All. I think you can make a case for any other spot being changed any other way. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there, Sam. I think the, the one that, um, kind of stuck out to me was actually you mentioned running backs Demontre Tuggle from Ohio not taking anything away from him last year yeah he had a great year 403 yards six touchdowns but I I I'm looking at um at Tion Dollard from Akron and this is a guy who was uh you know led them in in rushing last year 666 yards rushing six touchdowns six yards per carry this is a guy who was voted. He's on here as the third, one of the third team running backs. I think this is a guy that certainly deserves to be a little bit, have higher recognition than that uh, because he really was the offense at times last year for Akron. And I expect that'll probably be the case again this year. Um, other than that though. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Sam. I think uh, not a ton of depth at the tight end position. So um, I, I can't take too much issue with, uh, with Ryan Lerman from Ohio. I, I was really happy to see Tyrese Ritchie from Northern Illinois get uh, on the first team uh, offense. I think he's a guy who was very underappreciated last year and just has been over the course of his, uh, you know, his entire career at Northern Illinois. This is a guy who's coming back um, as, uh, you know, as a fifth year senior, led the, led the conference with five, with 53 receptions last year in the shortened season, four touchdowns. So I was really excited to see him uh, get first team. I, I feel like he doesn't really get talked about enough. And then on defense, I think a lot of, uh, I, I think the thing that I really noticed on the first team defense is just the amount of, of veteran talent on here. I mean, you look at the, the all the, you know, the secondary, Noski LaFleur, Sam Womack, Bryce Cosby, Tyson Anderson. These are four guys who've played, been around a long time, played a lot of games. Same thing with Brandon Martin. Same things with James Patterson from Buffalo. Same thing with Troy Hairston from Central Michigan and Troy Brown from Central Michigan as well. I think that's the thing that stands out to me on the defensive side of the ball is the, the amount of you know veteran presence there on that first team. 
Yeah, I, I think the, the continuity is definitely the theme you mentioned. I, I think these are a lot of guys that we expect to be on the first team, have been on the first team before, especially James Patterson. I think he was, Brandon Martin was for sure, Troy Brown was for sure. I do want to give a shout out to Samuel Womack for being first team defense. I, I'm, I'm just going to take my praise where I could get it. I predicted this back last year. You can go listen to it. I, I, I said this last year, shout out to Sam, Sam Womack for representing for the Sams. But I, th- I think similar to the off- the offensive side of the ball, there's a lot of um, uh, changes you can make here and there. I think uh, you can make a case for Christian Albright in there. I, I think one person that is um, lacking in here, Anthony Ekpe from Ball State, really a huge mm. uh, presence on that D-line for Ball State. Didn't, doesn't get a whole lot of recognition for what he does, but rushing the quarterback, forcing that uh, fumble back uh, that game against Toledo, which was huge. He, uh, the transfer from Rice, he's been huge last season. And I expect him to have a um, big impact this season. Yeah, for sure. I mean, five sacks last year, two forced fumbles. I, I, I certainly can uh, agree with you there. And and uh, can understand why you might be uh, upset with his exclusion on these lists. To, to close out the show here today, uh, we Sam and I wanted to talk. We're looking a little bit ahead towards, uh, you know, non-conference games this year, right? We missed them. We all missed them all so much last season, not getting to see, you know, max squads play against power five teams or just even other interesting group of five teams. So we wanted to talk a little bit about the, the, the power five, or I should say the, the non-conference matchups that we're most looking forward to this year, Sam, um, I'll, I'll, you, let's lead us off here. What, what's, uh, what's one of the games you picked uh, that you're most excited for? Um, I'm going to start out with the, the ball state game. I'm going to go army at ball state as much as I would like to say ball state's going to go into Penn state and just, just get a win there. I'm going to be more realistic. I I don't know if that's possible. I think they can keep the game closed, but I don't know how likely it is going to Happy Valley. I do think a non-conference game that's more winnable game is a game at home against Army. Army, who obviously had an impressive last season, I think is a more kind of measurable game to see where your program's at. And, And that's the game I'm looking forward to as a Ball State fan to see how likely it is we're going to run it back. And if we can come in that game firing, pull out a win against an impressive Army team, obviously they're not power five, but it's still an impressive win nonetheless. I think it'll bode great things heading into conference season because I know we'll need it as a boost. A lot of people are talking about how we're going to hashtag run it back, and obviously we have the talent to do so. But I want to see what that talent is against a uh, non-conference opponent because we haven't seen a non-conference opponent in two years. And if we can put up a solid performance against a respectable Army team, I expect big things from this Ball State team. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I agree with you, Sam. I think this game will be a good measuring stick for the Cardinals. Army's always a tough team to play. They run, like I said, they run that triple option offense. They're tough to prepare for if you're not – used to preparing for them. So I certainly think that that, um, you know, can, can throw a little wrench in, 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 you know, ball States plans there, you know, to speaking to your point about their non-conference schedule in general, the Penn state game is a tough one. I do think ball state will keep that game close, but, but I agree. That'll be tough to, to get a win in that game. But I think army, this is a very uh, winnable game, but it's also a good opponent. So I think it's a good, a good opponent to, to schedule here. And I think if ball state, uh, can, can knock off army in this game, you know, you're looking at, you know, realistically, probably, a you know, a three and one start, um, me, I'm pulling up their, their, uh, schedule right now. And I want to see how this is going to break down. Cause you figure you look at it. I mean, we got, you know, Western Illinois in week one, Penn state week two, Wyoming, Toledo army. So, you know, why at Wyoming and Toledo uh, and Army, those not, I mean, none of those games are easy, but I think Ball State has the talent to, to get through those three. So I think that the Army game, though, it's a good choice, Sam, because it's a good opponent, an evenly matched opponent, a tough opponent to prepare for. And I think we'll learn a lot about the Cardinals that day, especially their defense. I think if their defense, if they're able to shut Army down, I think that'll bode well uh, for the rest of the season for the Cardinals. I agree. And, and what's one of your games? Yeah, so my first one I was going to go with, I, I wanted to go with a couple of, you know, off the, the beaten path here games that might not get talked about quite as much. 
Um, I'm going to go my first one. I'm going with uh, Syracuse at Ohio. Uh, I, I'm really excited to see this game. I think I'm always excited in general whenever a, uh, a MAC team is able to bring a Power 5 opponent into their home stadium, which Ohio is doing. This is week one, first game of the year, under the lights in Athens at 7 o'clock kick. Um, here's the thing. Not only is it cool that Ohio is getting a home game against a Power 5 team, but this is a very winnable game for the Bobcats. Former Bowling Green coach Dino Babers, he, he's on the hot seat right now for, for Syracuse. Back in 2017, they had one good year uh, in the 2017-2018 season. Or if you, everyone will recall they knocked off Clemson. Was Clemson was number two in the country. I believe Syracuse finished that season 9-4. and four. But since then, it's really been downhill fast. This team went 1-10 last year. Their defense was awful. Their offense was awful. Really not many uh, redeeming qualities to take away from last season for, uh, for, the, the, um, for the Orange. Now, on the other side of the ball, uh, Ohio, you got uh, true freshman quarterback Curtis Rourke, who really pretty, played pretty well last year in limited action. He's coming back. DeMontre Tuggles coming back got a lot of starters back on the offensive line. I think not only is this cool because it's a home game against a power five team for a Mac team, but I think this is a very, very winnable game for the Bobcats. And if they can pull off a victory here, I think it would bode well for them for this season. It'll be a good start to the season for the Mac as well. I, I, I think you're right there. I think this is a very winnable game. Looking at Syracuse, their over under win total is for 14th places where Vegas has you. So if that's any indication of where this program's at, I mean, I haven't watched the Syracuse game since Eric Dungy was there at quarterback a few yeah. years ago, actually doing some, actually doing some winnings for Syracuse. But yeah, Syracuse, as you mentioned, isn't a good place. Dino Babers is in the hot seat. If Ohio can get a win here, it can definitely set you in the right path um, in, in the right direction because, like I mentioned, I think the MAC East is very wide open this year. I think there's a lot of uh, – the MAC West, obviously you have a lot of teams that should have uh, be tough opponents, but I think MAC East you have kind of um, – you should have everybody in a pack. It's not the most tough division um, compared to previous uh, divisions. Obviously you have uh, – Buffalo kind of struggling this year with a bunch of turmoil, but yeah, if they can get a win against a, a kind of weak Syracuse team, a great ACC win that should bode well for St. Frank Solich. Yeah, no doubt. It could certainly set the tone for the entire season for the Bobcats. So we'll see uh, how that one plays out for Ohio. Uh, what about you, Sam? One more uh, non-conference game you're looking forward to. I went with San Jose state at Western Michigan. I don't think the San Jose State we saw in the Ball State game was the true San Jose State game. It just wasn't. There was a bunch of people out due to COVID. Their their quarterback didn't have his full starting core. I think their offensive and defense coordinator didn't even show up for the game, let alone just do anything to help them. And I, I think the San Jose State had a great season last season. And if they can return to that form, this should be a great uh, group of five opponent for Western Michigan. Obviously, San Jose State was, weren't they the Mountain West champion last year? Yeah, they were. They were. A, a ranked team last year. Uh, if Western Michigan and Caleb Elby can keep up the offensive production that they had last year, it's going to be a great shootout. But again, it just comes down to their defense. Can their defense be better than last season? Because we, we pointed out earlier in the episode just the, the ridiculous amount of points they let up. And you can't do that against one of the, the great uh, Mountain West offenses. You obviously have Boise State, but San Jose State was no joke last year outside of that Ball State game. So a, a great opponent. I don't know if Western Michigan can get it done if San Jose State is the San Jose State of last year, but I think it will be a great matchup, great fun matchup to watch. I'm with you there, Sam. I think this is a game to me that has points written all over it. I think both of these teams could score 30 plus points in this game. You know, San Jose State, I agree with what you said about, you know, the, the team we saw play against Ball State in the Arizona Bowl on New Year's Eve, I don't think was necessarily representative of, of the team that they put on the field for the rest of the season. You got quarterback Nick Starkle coming back. This is a guy who, uh, you know, started his career at Arkansas 
and uh, has, you know, or I'm sorry, started his career at Texas A&M, then went to Arkansas, then went to San Jose State. So he's been around. He's played in the Power Five, a high-level quarterback. I mean, this is a guy, 17 touchdowns, seven interceptions last year, over 2,000 yards. It's going to be tough uh, for the Western Michigan defense, I think, to, to stop these guys. They have a lot of production back from last year. They have their coaching staff back. And, uh, you know, San Jose State, their head coach was, you know, he's on a couple short lists for Power Five jobs this offseason ended up not working out. So he's back for another year. So I agree with you, Sam. I think this is going to be two teams uh, with high flying offenses that struggle a little bit on defense. So I think we could see a lot of points in this game and should be for a, a really fun non-conference matchup. I love it when teams from the Mac go out and play teams from other uh, group of five leagues. You know, we got ball state playing uh, Wyoming this year, Bowling green playing South Alabama, Western Michigan playing San Jose state. I love games like this. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, who's your final uh, non-conference game to watch? Yeah, so my last one here, this this one's a little bit more high profile, and I think I've seen some folks talking about it, but I'm really excited to see Toledo play at Notre Dame. Um, obviously, you know, Notre Dame Stadium there in South Bend, touchdown Jesus and everything. One of the most historic stadiums and programs in college football. Uh, Sam, we've talked a lot about Jason Candle on this program and, uh, you know, how he could use a signature win. They tend to to struggle a little bit to win these big games. Um, I don't know how, you know, winnable this game is for Toledo. I see Notre Dame ranked in the top 15 in a lot of preseason polls, but um, this would be a signature win for the Rockets and for the conference if they were able to pull it out. I mean, pretty much everyone's back from last year's team. I mean, Carter Bradley and Eli Peters are both back at quarterback. They have Isaiah Winstead and Denzel McKinley Lewis back at wide receiver. This is a team that's going to be able to move the ball and going to be able to score. Are they going to be able to stop Notre Dame? I think that's another conversation and, and a much tougher question. But I do think Toledo has the talent and the tools to go in there and compete with the Fighting Irish. And Sam, I know you'd be happy if the Rockets could go in there and knock them off. Oh, no doubt. I, I think I would be happy if, if they would even be able to keep it close. And, and I think this game is key for two reasons to, to just set the tone for the rest of the season. And, and if you want to prove to people, if Jason Cannon wants to prove to people that he belongs as Toledo's head coach and wants to prove that Toledo is actually good and deserving of that eight win mark that Vegas set for them and seems to set for them every year, it's going to start with this Notre Dame game. And if they can at least keep this game close, like Ball State did a couple seasons ago, I think they only lost by like eight. That will prove big things that Toledo is not to be messed around the, this last season, this um, this season up ahead. Because I, I think you can agree with me, Zach. People, when they played were Toledo, just kind of saw them as a joke where where they were all kind of talk and no actual like fight, no actual bite. And I think this game against Notre Dame with the new starting quarterback in Jack Cohn, the Wisconsin transfer, if they can at least force Notre Dame into a tough game, I think we'll do a lot of um, do a lot in the sense of um, Toledo fans will be a lot more happier. I think um, Mac fan Mac teams will have, actually have to worry about Toledo compared to past years. Yeah, they they do seem to uh, they just never seem to live up to expectations. I, I really feel like. That's something that uh, has been consistent over the last couple of years. It seems like Toledo always has the talent to be near the top of the conference and, and, and to, to be in the conversation and knock off power five teams in games like this. They just never seem to be able to put it all together. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens in this one. There's a ton more uh, that we're looking that, you know, we, we know there's a ton of Mac power five matchups coming up this fall. So I, we couldn't get to all of them. These are just a couple of our highlights couple months to go here until football season starts. We'll, we'll be talking at least a little bit of football every week moving forward as we get ready for the season. Sam, any, any final thoughts for the people uh, as we wrap up this week's show? I do want to say if, if there's 100% capacity in these uh, college football stadiums next year, don't be like the state, don't be like the fans in the NBA um, playoffs who are just throwing water bottles and spitting yeah. on athletes. Like, Come on, when, when did we lose our minds to the point where we're just doing this most ridiculous stuff? Sam, that, that's a great point. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. You see, um, you know, the fan, you got Russ, Russ Wilson got popcorn thrown on him. Kyrie's getting bottles thrown at him in Boston. 
Yeah, it's like it's like we a year for a year we were away from live sporting events and we forgot how to act or something. It is pretty crazy. I that's a that's a great point, Sam. And and we we went with a whole year without basically being able to go to any sporting event. Basically, it proved that we can have this privilege taken away, and you're gonna come back, and first thing you do is that stuff. It, it's just it's just crazy to me. I think we forget sometimes that these people are humans too. And you would probably feel the same way if you were in Russell Westbrook's shoes or um, Trey Young's shoes or anything like that. It was just crazy to me how people just forgot to act. I think there was a person who went on the court of the 76ers game. Uh, yeah. Ago. It's yeah. Crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, that's very, very well said, Sam. A good way to end the show. Um, we're all hoping that 100% capacity is back for college football this year. If we do get that privilege, though, let's not abuse it. Let's uh, let's make sure we're, you know, you know fans, you're good fans, good sportsmanship, all that good stuff. We don't need to be creating hostile environments like that, uh, like, you know, some of the incidents we've seen in the NBA over the last week or so. Well said, Sam. Uh, well, with that, guys, we're going to close out the show this week. As always, thank you for stopping by. This has been episode 48 of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast. I am Zach Folidor. He is Sam Thillman. Thank you so much for stopping by this week, folks. We'll talk to you next Friday.